Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA with training in pastoral care and counseling. And I'm Paula. I'm a licensed counselor, a counseling professor, and a person of Christian faith. So as we're getting started, we just want to say that Sacred Intersections Podcast is about respectful discussion and conversation to encourage you to think. We're not trying to make you think like us, just to make you think. That is our agenda. Neither one of us speaks on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA or other organizations which we may be connected to in our professional lives, nor do we speak on behalf of all mental health care professionals and practitioners, people of faith, Jesus followers, white women, Americans, or people who insist on having live Christmas trees. Live Christmas trees! Woohoo! There is... Usually we would say that we are a judgment-free zone, but there's a little bit of judgment for people who don't who oh, have fake Christmas Jill, trees. We're gonna have so many listeners who use <laughs> fake Christmas trees. We can that, edit that out. That we also love. <laughs> we love you. We just feel strongly about live Christmas trees. Well, I am from the Fraser Fur Capital of the World. And I don't know if that's an official title, but it was on the sign going <laughs> into the county where I grew up. There you so go. I do feel so every year I have gone back to my hometown to buy a live Fraser fur. Even when I lived in a little bitty apartment, I would still go get a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree and um, carry it home in my trunk many, many hours away. So now I just tie it up to the car. I don't tie it up to the car. The guys at the tree lot tie it up to the car and bring it down the mountain. So there's levels to live tree enthusiasts. Do you insist that the only good live tree is one that you cut down yourself or are you okay cutting down one that, are, are you okay getting a live Christmas tree that has been previously cut by someone else? Well, let me be clear. I do not ever do the cutting myself. (laughs) For those of you who've never gone to a tree lot and picked out a live tree, you put a little like ribbon or tag on it and then you flag down the guys rolling around on four wheelers and they come cut it and bring it down and bail it up for you and tie it on your tree. At least the tree lots where I go to. There you go. Is how that happens. But I'm sure there are people who cut it down themselves and... It can be a little, you know, people say, the tree lots say choose and cut, but it's not always you. You're choosing, but I don't, they've never let me have the chainsaw. There you go. So in, in elsewhere in the world, in Michigan, they hand you a little, one of those little saws. Oh my gosh. Probably I should know what the name is. And I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of judgment about the fact that. It, is it a hacksaw, I think? Sure. <laughs> Where you have to, like, lie on the ground in the snow and, like, everything does not sound fun. No. I have done that before. I have, like, cut it down with my own two hands. Do you enjoy that as well? Um, I mean, I feel like that's a level of live tree enthusiasm that's, like, I have a live tree, but I have, like, an extra live tree. That is a level of investment. Did it myself. I feel like we could do a whole episode on Christmas like trees we if could. we felt like it. I'm also wondering if I, I'm as I'm thinking of live tree experiences, I'm remembering some dear friends of mine who brought their live tree in, and then a spider nest hatched in their apartment. Did that happen to you too? No, yeah, we've had people that that's happened to where it was, you know, which vacu- is my worst nightmare: vacuuming up baby spiders. Oh my! Oh, stop it! Um, stop it! Okay. Um, But getting back to the podcast, Sacred Intersections is a podcast that includes discussion and conversation about religion, spirituality, mental health, and all the ways they intersect. 
because we were already having these kinds of conversations and we decided to record them and share them with you. So we are just super glad you're along for the journey with us, even if you're traveling different roads or you're driving different vehicles than we are. So um, Paula, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. We've been a podcast for a whole year now. We It's like we've had our year anniversary. We had the memory on Facebook show up on our Facebook page. What's the, is it paper? Is that the year anniversary gift? Oh, I should know that. My husband's really into like the traditional things. We accept anniversary gifts of any kind. Yep. Anybody, anybody Including leaving a review or sharing our podcast on your social media or liking our posts or giving us feedback or leaving a review. Love it. <laughs> or subscribing. Yeah. All of those things are great. But I feel like you have some big news to share with everybody. I do have kind of big news. I don't... I, I think our listeners will be interested in this, that I am not leaving academia. I wanted to squelch that rumor before it even starts. I'm still going to continue my role as a professor in a counseling department, but I am also opening a little side practice called the Center for Healing Religious Harm. So excited. I'm very excited. I... I love being a counseling professor and supervisor and all through my training and all through my career. And then when I went back to my doc program, I kept seeing clients and, and never really stepped out of being a counselor, but with the pandemic and with some things that have happened, I just have not been able to, to work as a counselor in a while. And so this is going to be just a small practice where I can see clients I can see teletherapy clients all across North Carolina, or I can see um, people in person in the little town where we live, and I can do consultation all over the U.S. for religious harm with churches or organizations and supervision for associate level licensed people. So it's very exciting. It's very exciting. There's such a need for quality mental health care in our region and it is just so wonderful to know that there are people out there that are are looking to help and serve and I'm so excited I know there's lots of folks at our church that are so excited that this is happening and we're thrilled and grateful for you and the service you're providing so I would say roadies if you want to know more about the Center for Healing Religious Harm uh, send us an email through sacred intersections podcast at gmail.com or they'll or I'll put a link for to the website. Perfect in, in the show notes. Show notes. Magical. So even though so we've talked about Christmas trees. We've talked about Christmas <laughs> so trees. If you're if you're not listening to this right after it drops, we're recording this um, around the holiday season, end of the year, and this will be our December episode. It's not gonna be a holiday episode. We're actually talking about cults, if you didn't notice the title. <laughs> so so that's coming up. We do want to remind y'all that we did a holiday episode last year about just mental health in the holidays and how religion can can sometimes, how the holidays can just, and the religion mixed together can sometimes create harmful circumstances. So we'll link that in the show notes too, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, or if you missed it on the first go around. Definitely. Just want to encourage you to take care of yourself. That the holidays are, I mean, every time is hard times right now, but the holidays can be particularly difficult for folks that are dealing with issues of religious harm or dealing with issues around their mental health. So Take care of yourself. Amen to that. So let's talk about cults. Let's talk about cults. 
our roadies might be going, this might be a little strange topic for us to be talking about. <laughs> well, so, but one of the things that's so interesting is I have heard you say when you're talking about what you do as a counselor and as a mental health professional, that a lot of times when you start to talk about religious abuse, the very first thing people ask you about is, do you mean cults? Exactly. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. When I talk about my research or I talk about the clients that I serve um, working on issues of religious harm, it's kind of this assumption like, oh, you mean cults? And it's kind of like, well, no, actually, I generally research and spend more time in how harm can occur in these in more mainstream religions. Um, But we did think it was important to do an episode where we just kind of talked a little bit about the religious harm that cults do and how that can be distinguished from more mainstream religions. And I feel like it's a really, that we're seeing it everywhere in pop culture. Yeah. Well, I I was going to say, like, we're not the hippest cats on the block. Hey. Hey, hey. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. You're probably right. You are far hipper than (laughs) I, whatever. I'm definitely the least hip person that I know. So I will say. (laughs) not true. That we're (laughs) being maybe a little bit behind the eight ball, but. Um, particularly I feel like at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, there were a lot of, uh, like true crime podcasts and reality shows and documentaries about cults, like on the Netflix and on the Netflix. See, do you see, (laughs) do you see I'm the least hip person that you know? You are building I put a definitive article in front of my, uh, in front of my applications that I use. Um, don't judge. So there's a lot of pop culture around it. So there's that Leah Remini and Mike Render. Um, they're both a television show and a podcast. They had a couple seasons of their show. And then they, yes, they have a podcast out now all about their leaving Scientology. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really big one that I'm hearing a lot of buzz on. That's I believe it's on HBO Max called The Way Down. Okay. That's Big Hair Lady, right? It is. Oh, my goodness. Just roadies. If you have not heard about this, just Google it right now, The Way Down. And the documentary is Way, W-A-Y. And it's about her business, which was Way Down, W-E-I-G-H. So it was a cult that that started as a biblically-based weight loss program that kind of morphed into this huge cult. But this woman, over the years, her hair got bigger and bigger and I truly feel like I am not someone who judges people's appearance and if you ever see me you'll understand why but oh my goodness this hair is it, it's it's twice the size of her head it's unbelievable so I think the hair somehow I don't I don't know they ever address it I'm not through the documentary series yet but yes that's the hair lady but okay. that's getting a lot of buzz um around a different kind of cult yeah. so that documentary is out there People still talk about Jonestown. You still hear the phrase drink the Kool-Aid, which we may mention that. The, the, um, it started as the People's Temple cult. And that's from before I was at least a kid, maybe before I was born. Yeah. And we still In another century. To... It was in another century. Oh, okay. Thanks for that. Well, <laughs> it's true. Both but... of us were born in another century. Are you old enough um, to remember um, the Branch Davidians? Yes. Waco, are you? Yes. We're closer in age than you think we are. <laughs> I had a friend, one of my dear friends, moved to Waco, and I just remember, like, oh, that's all I knew knew of Waco at the yeah. time was the Branch Davidians yeah. cult and the um, the way the government went in there and what a 
what a just controversy that was on so many different levels. Yes, definitely. There's there's a pop culture reference about that. I know because the gentleman who plays the dynamic leader of that is the guy who played Taylor Kitsch, who was on Friday Night Lights, which is one of my favorite oh. television shows. He also played David Koresh in yes. the doc, in the played David Koresh the movie about the Branch Davidians. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Which came out recently, which is part of the whole impetus behind let's talk about cults. So we're mm. we're starting with our billboards, but there's a lot in pop culture around cults and things like that. And I I will say, in doing research for this episode and sort of digging in, I am fascinated by the very thin line between talking about what makes a cult and what makes a a some a religion a mainline religion or something like that like there is a very thin line yeah i think i've said this on the podcast before but i've definitely heard people say all religions are cults it's just what degree they are interesting i don't agree with that but i understand the line of thinking yeah around it yeah and and that's actually came up i'm teaching an elective this semester on spirituality and counseling and i remember like students having students who maybe had not had as much exposure to religion or as much exposure to cults when we started talking about that kind of like well, what's the difference and and really not knowing so we thought this might be really interesting to talk about is what makes a cult and what to what to watch out for yeah and the kind of harm that can be done yeah so do you want to get into maybe textbook definitions of What's the textbook definition of a cult? Yeah. Let's get into some textbook definitions and some some research around it. And so, yeah, I, you know, there's there's lots of stuff out there. Quick Google of characteristics of a cult can give you lots of different things. But this, a lot of this stuff we got from a couple websites called cultresearch.org. And then an organization that actually reached out to me right after my dissertation was published called the International Cultic Studies Association. And they really focus on the mental health around cults mm-hmm. and helping people who've who've exited from cults. And so, um, so a lot of this comes from them and then some journal articles and different things that we've talked about. So some really common characteristics of cults, there's often a highly charismatic leader that is in the forefront of that. Often around a singular leader, mm-hmm. we hear that a lot of times, not always, but often it is kind of one person who, who, and, and charisma, you know, is an interesting thing. I think don't think it's always easily defined. Yeah. And I look at some cult leaders and go, how do they get people to follow them? I, yeah. But there is something that draws people to these leaders. And a main characteristic that I think truly does separate cults from from how I define mainstream religions is that these that cults demand unquestioning loyalty to this leader and to what they say. And and certainly that happens in some churches. And you know, so it's it's a compilation of all of these different characteristics, but it is unquestioning, complete loyalty. You are not allowed to engage in critical thinking at all. You're mm-hmm. not allowed to um, provide a slight critique of what's happening so often and so it's not just so the the charismatic leader and then everyone else that then demands following this one leader too so the system just becomes completely around this one person culturally i'm gonna go ahead and say that most of the uh 
charismatic leaders in cults that have been identified have been male. I think that that's just in the in the very marginal research that I was doing. It's I think been a that's male true leader. that the majority of them are. The ones that have women leaders are fascinating to me, though. There are some really like the the way down is a woman, and who was raised in a more patriarchal system and so the fact that she kind of anointed herself and was able to develop this church in nash right outside nashville tennessee in this heart of the bible belt that goodness it's just it's it's fascinating i can't wait to finish that documentary but but yes i would say generally the one like we think of david koresh we think of jim jones we think of the leader of the more recent one i think it's called nexvium but yeah when we think about the ones that are really dominating the first thing you think of when you think of cults Yes, very much so. So there's the very charismatic leader. And then I think which leads into the no questioning is the amount of control. That there's this very much like toe the party line, make sure that you're using the script that we Mm -hmm. invite you to use, that you're saying that and any sort of diversion from this is our main point, this is our main priority, this is our main mission is is a danger. High control is, I think, the yes, the very, very necessary part of a cult. They, it's not only that they want to control the spiritual aspects of your life. It's that they want to control every aspect of your life. So you hear a lot that, that people's identity has to become aligned with the group, that they're not allowed an identity outside of the group. And what I hope for like our church and other religions is that like you come and you have this fellowship together and you have this spiritual group that then provides nourishment and care for you to then go out into these other aspects of your life and still be your own person and to carry your faith with you but not that it has to everything you do has to go through this group right yeah and to the point of that high control and that isolation to where every aspect of your life becomes less important. So you hear a lot of times that when people join cults, they give up um, their jobs or they start funneling all their money towards the cult Mm -hmm. or to something else, or that they abandon their families or that they are the cult intentionally tries to separate them Mm -hmm. from their families. So the cults really create this us versus them mentality. Sure. They really kind of just pull into themselves and it is you are with us or you're against us. Well, I think about that us versus them mentality and just the geographic locations of that, that oftentimes a cult is centrally located, like Jonestown or the Branch Davidians in Waco, that there's this, you're, you're not just leaving your job, you're like picking up your stuff and going to this place where you have to be with this group of people. And what I find in... Is that the the thin line between the sort of mainline religion and cults is like, how did they all start? Like, Mm -hmm. because I think about how did Christianity start? Because certainly in the first century, Christianity was seen as a cult following Mm -hmm. a dynamic leader named Jesus and now has become like the most mainline of mainline, mainline, mainlines. But there's a there's a fine line. There's a dynamic leader. There's uh, an, a desire of everyone coming to believe a similar set of beliefs and things like that. So, so we've talked about like the high level of control and charismatic leadership and things like that. 
what else would you say distinguishes a cult from more mainline religion? You know, it's interesting because hearing you talk about when you were doing research and going, oh, crap, do I belong to a cult? Right. Or am I leading a cult? <laughs> kind am of... I leading a cult? <laughs> well, you are I a sure pastor. Will. I so. am a pastor. <laughs> I don't think you are. That's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, but... Let me just say to the roadies that I do not identify as a cult leader. <laughs> you are charismatic in your own way, but not. but not. Thank you. You are no David Koresh, and I hope you know I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> Sorry, Rory. We do know this is a serious topic, but the idea of Jill being a cult leader is just kind of very funny to both of us. But, you know, one of the interesting things, and I, I've, I've listened to a lot of Leah Remini and Mike Render, who Mike Render um, is, did the, the show on Scientology, and he was also a very important person in Scientology before he left. They talk a lot about when they were in it, they thought they were doing good for the world. And you hear that a lot with cults like that. And and you and that's, you know, I told my dissertation, every time I talk about my dissertation, it's the name of my dissertation was a twisting of the sacred. And so that's what happens in all religious harm is often there's, there's good intent. Mm-hmm. And then you just get in the middle of it and it gets twisted and then it gets more twisted. And I think with cults, it just gets so wound up and so twisted so tightly that it, you can't unravel it. Yeah. And so I think when you think back, like there's nobody... Well, I would say most, the vast majority of people in the world don't go, I'm going to go join a cult. Right? Of course not. Nobody thinks that. They think that they have found something that is good. They yeah. think that it is so, you, I've heard Lee Remini say that so many times. We thought we were doing good in the world until we realized that wasn't what was happening. And so, like, even you think of Jim Jones, which for our maybe younger roadies or people who are not familiar with that, Jim Jones is where that phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid, comes from. And this was a cult, um, the People's Temple cult, that started, I believe it was in the 70s, started um, in parts of the United States, moved to California, and then they were feeling so persecuted, which is a hallmark of cults, that they eventually, that us versus them, they're being, they feel like they're being persecuted, moved to Guyana in South America, bought property to start Jonestown. And like mm-hmm. the whole church was moving down there to have their own village. And this was hundreds, I think 900 people died. Yeah. So this was like probably thousands of people who actually moved there and wound up um, with a mass suicide after a congressman visited to check on some of their constituents and they felt threatened by that. And But when you, but the documentaries that I've watched about this, Jim Jones preached was one of the very first pastors to preach racial reconciliation. Yeah. To talk about the equality of the races in a time when this was not being talked about in religion. And had this beautiful vision of equality that really appealed to people. Yeah. And it started out as this thing that people wanted to be a part of. Exactly. And then it became super twisted into you have to, he controls every aspect of your life and gets twisted from there. Right. So most people think they're joining things to change the world yeah. in yeah. a positive way. Yeah. One of the things that I, I may be jumping the gun here, so we can move this part around if we need to, but one of the things when I'm meeting with folks that are interested in becoming a part of our church family, uh, I will often say, this is what the Presbyterian Church USA believes. And sometimes they will say, well, what do you believe? And and I will share bits and pieces of the things that I believe. And then I will say, 
I want you to know that the church is made up, church with a big C, is made up of humans. And we're, there's a diversity to all of us. And so if you ever find that you've landed in a church or a worshiping community or religious community where you agree with 100% of everything that's said and everything that's happening and, and nothing ever happens to cause you to raise an eyebrow or to think, I don't know how I feel about it. even not to disagree, but just to be like, huh, I wonder about that. If that never happens unconsciously you are you are giving something up like that's not a healthy community if you are if everyone is in agreement 100% of the time and i know that that's that's so anti-cultural because culture prizes agreement and and everybody being on the same page but like how boring is that so the idea that you're entering into a community where no questions are allowed to be asked where everybody has to think the same thing everybody has to robotic nature I think that's a like if you're asking yourself am I about to join a cult maybe that's one of your test cases to ask yourself like how are questions accepted which we must talk about every single episode here on sacred intersections podcast like you've got to be able to ask questions your leadership has to be willing to answer questions yeah has to be willing and not be threatened by that and not ostracize you because of that yeah that's definitely a sign that that you might be about to join a cult if there is no room for you grappling with what you're hearing in your own way right and making it your own yeah and it's okay to be a part of a community where you do disagree with things i will say I do not agree with 100% of all of the tenets that the Presbyterian Church USA puts forth. That doesn't exclude me from being a Presbyterian Church USA minister. Like, I can differentiate between the things that matter and the things that don't. But these, the in a, in a cult, the expectation of not only do you have to agree with me 100%, but you can't question me and you can't, you can't think any differently. There, you can't even have a thought of like, I don't know if I disagree with this. I just don't know yeah. how or I just, feel. Or just I want to hear more about this yeah. because I don't understand it. You need to be able to ask those questions. Exactly. One of my favorite podcasts is the Popcast with Knox and Jamie. Um, it's just kind of a fluffy, fun podcast. But they were doing. They were talking about a. a they were doing an episode where Knox said. Um, a quote that has really struck with me of sometimes people kind of it, some, I'm going to misquote it, but something to the effect of sometimes people seek certainty to the exclusion of understanding. Oh, wow. And that yeah. just struck me as so powerful that there, that sometimes when we just want things to be easy answers, we really miss the meaning behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's that's one way to ask if you are not being allowed to ask questions. It, you know, and that's where that term brainwashing comes from, right? That we hear with a lot of cults that uh, you know, and brainwashing is one of those things it's really hard to define, it's hard to explain. There's even some people who go like you can't really brainwash anyone that doesn't want to be brainwashed, but when you are constantly isolated and not exposed to other ways of thinking or other opinions or just even able to to interact with different groups of people, then it's really, it makes sense that that's when that's all you know, that's all you know. You may, so one of the quotes that I pulled from 
the International Cultic Studies Association page that talks about brainwashing and really key how you know something's a cult versus not a cult is often when you choose to leave and how they treat you wanting to no longer be a part of this group. Okay. You know, I've, I've left churches that, you know, most people when they leave a church, there may be a little uncomfort, discomfort. There may be a little kind of like, oh, this is weird because I was part of this group and I'm not, but, but it's not you become the enemy. Usually right. it's yes. not like you're an evil person who is, who must, no one else must associate with you ever again. You cannot speak to them at the grocery store, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, so this quote that I pulled from the International, International Cultic Studies Association page says, that's why Professor Benjamin Zablocki associates, associates brainwashing with what he calls, quote, exit costs. So that exit cost, like what is it going to cost you to exit the system? He goes on to say in the quote, in other words, the brainwashing associated with high control cultic groups in Zablocki's view isn't so much related to how people enter groups, but rather to the difficulty they have in leaving. So some of the abuse of cults can be when you're a part of it, you know, how you're treated. Sometimes there is actual abuse. Many cults have include sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual manipulation. You hear that a lot of these charismatic leaders marrying multiple women yeah. through manipulative ways, even underage women often. But so there's, but there even just the isolation that comes from being a part of a cult. So there can be abusive experiences within it, but then you often see a lot of abusive practices when people are trying to leave Yeah, because they're threatened with they won't be able to talk to their family who may choose to still be a part of the system that, um, that they're, they're, you know, if you listen to Leah Remini's podcast, they talk about fair game where they go after people and yeah. really try to the greatest, do damage. The greatest threat is bad publicity. Yeah. I, that was one of the things that I think was from that, that particular podcast of just thinking, but so it's so interesting. I'm, as I'm hearing you talk and I keep going back to the, the twisting aspect because I think about uh, aspects in scripture that say like when you think your brother is doing something wrong you gather the elders together and you bring them before the assembly and you confront them and you and you tell them of their sin and I can easily see I know of evangelical which we might consider a mainline Christianity that 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 is something that happens that they bring people together and say you your your actions are a threat to our fellowship and we are we we need you to change your behavior and how easily that could get twisted into if you're not for us you're against us and that us versus them mentality and how again back to that very thin line between mainline Christianity and religion and this cult aspect of twisting that into mm -hmm. you're you don't agree with me and therefore you're my enemy and I have to do everything I can to yeah I mean I think it it certainly can cross the line in mainline and mainstream churches I think that's something that we all those of us who claim a certain faith or a certain religion have to be constantly assessing how, what is our motivation in this yeah. and what because you know I, I'm not sure if it's in the same place in scripture where that is talked about but I keep when I think about confronting someone for their behavior or because of something they're doing that may be a threat to the group I always go back to that that verse speak the truth in love yep and that in love being a part of it so 
if I'm genuinely worried about someone's safety, someone's mental health, someone's unhealthy behaviors or unhealthy relationships or things like that, going to them because I truly love them and an unselfish love that goes, I, I, I'm worried about you, not I'm worried about you not being exactly like me, yeah. not I'm worried that you're doing something different from me and not really attached to the outcome in the same way that I might be, that I'm going to ostracize you if you don't fall back in line. Yeah. It, if I go to speak to the truth to, some, to someone in love, it truly is coming from a place of, I want to be able to continue to have a relationship with you. And I may have to set some boundaries if, if your behavior is damaging to me. And I want you to know that. I want to communicate that. Um, I don't know. Was that kind of the kind of stuff you were thinking about how we delineate that? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I find it fascinating that, that, that that line is so thin. I've, I've said that enough, um, but yeah. I'm just I'm fascinated by that. And 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 I also think that when I think about religious harm and the harm done, I can imagine that someone who is in the process of trying to exit a harmful situation is going to have a fair amount of suspicion and anxiety around any kind of religious institution. So, you know, how far does the pendulum swing from one way to another when you're trying to find a healthy place and space to be after experiencing that kind of what I would call trauma? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why why we wanted to start this podcast. Yeah. And part of the research that I do is that I feel like there are these narratives out there about the harm that religion can do, with cults being the most extreme example of the harm that religion can do. And that I we wanted to try to add a different narrative that, that at least the way we attempt, not always perfectly, but that we attempt to live out our religious faith is in a way that, that we hope to first do no harm and then to show love and compassion and grace and mercy and Christ-like behavior yeah. to people. But not demanding that everyone does it exactly our way, yeah. which yeah. is what cults would do. Right. To, I, I recognize that the word pluralism has a lot of implicate, that, that word carries a lot of weight. But I think about a more pluralistic approach to mainline religion, which sounds counterintuitive. It sounds like, are you trying to say that there's more ways to get to heaven or anything like that? But it's a cult is saying you have to do it our way or you can't do it any way at all. And what I would say a pluralistic approach would be God is going to meet you where you are. And God is going to meet you there, invite you to come on a journey and and have that. But that there's a higher power out there that you, that I would, I won't speak for you, that I would choose to call God, who's going to meet you where you are. And that there are different ways that can be expressed. There's a Lutheran way and a Presbyterian way and a Baptist way and an evangelical way One and a Jewish said way. last and... night that there are 35,000 different Christian denominations in the world. Oh, heavens. I'm quite <laughs> sure of it. But like, but that, so when I say pluralistic, don't hear me, like that, that's what I mean, that there are different approaches to, to how we relate to God and that God is big enough to meet us where we are. And I think, you know, when I think again of the differences, I would say that that in, in most Christian churches, there is going to be a set of beliefs that people are expected to generally agree with. I, and I would say one difference is that you can still come to our church if you don't believe 
everything that we believe, or even if you don't believe anything, you can still be a part of our community. Absolutely. I mean, but we're still going to say this is who we are. And yeah. this is what our system says that we believe. And that is Jesus and God. And, and but it's not going to say that you cannot be a part of us if you don't fall in line with everything we believe. Sure. And that cults would say you must believe exactly what we believe and all these other aspects of your life must fall in exactly. Correct. Like you, that all of your money must go here and all of your hobbies must be spent in this way. Sure. And all of your relationships can only be surrounded around the church. You're not allowed to have relationships outside of, of that, of the cult system. So I think that that's where, even if they're, I think, I think a similar set of beliefs makes sense for churches yeah. but but not the way that they play out in people's everyday life around that yeah um and in cults dissent is punished like it is actively you are shamed you are ostracized you are asked not to be a part of the group if you don't you're you're said get in line or get out it's those it's that very um pioneering choice of yes. you're in or you're out yeah very much so yeah so clearly when you think about Who's driving the impetus behind cults and cult behavior is power and control. Like we, a dynamic leader having all of the power, being able to control people's actions and their words and their movements and their money and their bodies, all of it. Yeah. I mean, this section, you know, this category about who's driving is always where we look at who's, who's benefiting from the power that they have and who's trying to gain control and that's what the underlying point of all cults is is to maintain that power and that ultimate control yeah so i think this section can be really short because that's (laughs) what cults are is kind of maintaining that power and control there i know we've kind of been spending a lot of time everything we talked about just in the overview of cults in general i think was on the mental health road and on the religion road um did want to talk a little bit just about the mental health of like maybe what draws people to cults. Yeah. Say more. Because, you know, I think if you've not experienced this, it's really easy for people on the outside just to go, ah, there's, that's just stupid. Like I would never get caught up in something like that. Well, so you would, I don't feel like people set out to be like, I'm going to form a cult. Exactly. So I'm going to form a cult or I'm going to join a cult. Right. And you've said that people have who have gotten involved in cults have said, I thought I was doing a good thing. Like, it's not like they lead with, and oh, by the way, you're going to marry our religious leader and be his 17th wife and there's going to be all this weird sex stuff and all like that they don't lead with that exactly like that's one of those characteristics is the what we might call quote crazy stuff is not doesn't come up until much much later right it's not on a billboard anywhere for people to see they they woo people in with things that seem normal and like that seem positive yeah and like racial reconciliation exactly. and let's be a part of this really positive thing and then you have to either start peeling off the layers or the leader i think sometimes just gets caught up in that power and adoration and attention and they twist they maybe themselves started out with a positive intent and sure. then just really got twisted but even you know things that i think we have been well established in society as cults we still have people joining the these i mean i don't know that there's a lot that are really growing but there's still people there's today someone who's joining something that 
most people in the world might consider a cold. And there's there's no one reason for that. I think there's certainly something to... Everyone wants to belong to something. Absolutely. Everyone wants to feel like they're accepted. And these groups make it really clear what you need to do to be accepted and often do a really great job of reaching out to people who may feel marginalized in whatever way, who may feel persecuted, who may feel like they don't belong in a lot of other places and say, here is a place where we will accept you and we will take care of you. And there's a lot of power in that. And that's something I think mainstream churches could do a lot better with sure is is, um not the manipulative part of that but just the we come here be who you are and be accepted here but another thing that cults do really well is like as we said they they make you feel like you're part of a special group yeah because it is so isolated and it is so us or them so who doesn't want to be a part of the elite special group exactly they're the the i'm chosen i got picked I'm doing something important. I'm doing some. So there's a sense of of call or or importance or uh, there's what I found in some of the research I did was the sense of urgency mm. that there has to that that this is important work that mm-hmm. has to get done. And it's not like, oh, come and eventually you'll come around to our way of thinking. There's this sense of urgency, like we're all working towards a common task and that is an urgent task that needs our attention and needs are so whether it's world peace needs to happen now racial reconciliation needs to happen now or we need to come together around the idea that not everyone needs medicine or however we Mm -hmm. want to look at that there's an an urgency an urgency that provides purpose exactly like uh you know again it's who doesn't want to feel like our life has meaning and that we have purpose? And one of the things that the cults that really grow a lot are often really good at this messaging of this is what we're about. And it's often simple and oversimplified and easy to follow and make someone feel like they have purpose. What often happens though, you will hear is that they are advertising that we are doing this. We are changing the world in this way. And then you get in it and if you start asking questions about how are we changing the world or how what good deeds are we doing, there's often not a lot of evidence that that's actually happening, but you'll get in trouble for asking those questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what's I think the other thing that is interesting to me is that we can see some of these tendencies play out in things that the world would not necessarily consider a cult, but the way in which people gather around a dynamic political leader and if you do not agree with 100% of what that political leader says, the ostracizing and the enmity and the us versus them, I've, I feel like that's happening a lot here in America. I think it's happened elsewhere and um, around dynamic leaders in Asia and South America as well. But it's this idea that they, they come together around someone whose ideas they think they align with. And then as soon as there's, any dissension at all it's we're done yep you're out and how often do we hear like i would never vote for this other party never ever or of course i agree with everything this politician's saying i'm just gonna tell you i've never agreed with everything that any politician has ever done and i still vote for the politicians i believe align systemically in the greatest way right and it's healthy to 
be able to say, I may not agree with everything this person I voted for is doing, yeah. but I still thought it through and decided they're the best choice. If you're blindly following anyone, that's a characteristic of a cult. Right. Well, and that goes back to what I was saying about churches, too. Like, it's healthy to have a variety of viewpoints. Like, I have respect for people that are willing to, to say, I'm not sure that I agree with you on this issue or help me understand what where this is coming from. Or people who are willing to say, like, this is this this person isn't a Presbyterian like me, but I still value their thoughts and their opinions. Or this person isn't a Democrat or Republican or independent, like politically. So that there's, there's, I mean, cults might stem from a religion belief, but those tendencies can be elsewhere. And that has an impact on people's mental yeah, health. That blind sure. following and that blind. And that you're in, you're out. Yeah. You're with me or you're against me is so damaging for us as a society. Yeah. And that leads to another point about, so there's lots of reasons why people join cults. We touched on just a few of them. But one of the more interesting things is why people stay, even when they maybe do have their eyes opened. And a lot of it is that isolation that we talked about, knowing that if they leave, they might not get to see some of their family members mm-hmm. ever again, that their yeah. family members will have to completely disconnect from them in every way or that you know if this is if you were born into a cult or if you have spent most of your life in a cult this is all you know and so this idea of going out into this world with usually no money because a lot of times cults have taken all of that from you and having to start over that's 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 one of the ways they keep people in is, you know, there's the trauma that can happen within and then there's the trauma at the thought of leaving. Yeah. I have such respect for people who are able to, even though they're in this system, this isolated system, still able to ask questions and have the courage to reach out and find some, some other ways. I also just wanted to speak a little bit to people who maybe have friends or family members who they see getting sucked into a cult or who are sucked into a cult and how just that can feel like a grieving because you may feel like you've lost them Mm -hmm. and you don't, that's that, as I watch this, the way down documentary that is on, um, that I've been watching now, just seeing the pain of these parents as they're watching their daughter, get drawn into this cult. Um, I think it's really similar to having loved ones in an abusive relationship and you don't Mm. really know how to help because this is an abusive system and it's doing the same thing of isolating you. And, and like they know the more they can isolate you, the easier you are to manipulate and to abuse. Yeah. And so the system's going to do that too. So there's again, no best way to help someone. If you're someone you love, you're seeing get sucked into this. I always say set whatever boundaries you need to. If you need to not have someone in your life because they're unhealthy, always feel free to do that. But if you're able to maintain a relationship, if you can be the one to not get sucked into this tug of war, because the system is pushing that. It's pushing a, it's us or it's them. Yeah. Or you get them in with us. Yeah. You know, it's you can't have your family and your family here in this group. So if you're able to not be forcing that choice on them and try to stay in their lives. Um, doesn't mean you have to agree. doesn't mean you have to approve. Right. But if you can just maintain that I'm here for you whenever you want to talk and, and not get sucked into the conflict of it, but continue to express just support, speaking the truth and love, supportive yeah. concern, be available and supportive and seek counseling. 
yes. known for yourself. I'm always, always going to say that. I feel like most of the stuff we've been talking about is on the religion road, Jill. Oh, but yeah. is there anything else you wanted to add? Well, I just think about how a lot of times in, in thinking about that, those similarities of where cults begin and where religions be, begin and where they diverge, there's a lot of, of ritual around them. There's a lot of social causes and things to get involved and but when i look at the key difference it goes back to power and control of looking at those rituals and how are the rituals and traditions celebrated how are those social movements engaged in how do you live in the world and interact with others the image that was given to me once um, in the christian faith the communion table some christian denominations call it an altar we Presbyterians like to call it a communion table. And the idea is that that's a, that's a sacred tradition and a ritual. And there are, are two ways to approach it. And one way is that everyone is gathered around the communion table, sort of like a football huddle, where everyone is facing inward. And they're worried about that ritual and what they themselves, who are linked arm in arm around that communion table. And that a healthier model and the model that Jesus would put forward is a communion table where everyone is standing around the communion table with their backs to the communion table facing out to the world. So they're still connected to the communion table. They're still able to take the nourishment from that ritual and things like that. And they're still connected to one another, but they're ready. They're looking outward. They're looking to engage in the world. They're looking to grow their fellowship. They're looking to be a part of things. And it's that inward versus outward. And though that is the key difference that I would see between a cult and a, and a more mainline religion is, are you looking inward or are you looking outward? Mm. And the willingness to, to look out and say, you know, where, where can I engage in the world? Where can I be a part of things? Going out from the table versus constantly being huddled over the table and insular. You must come here and stay here and only be here. Mm-hmm. And just because I know sometimes our roadies who we love can misunderstand things and we sometimes get feedback that this is not in any way um, a judgment on how people choose to do literal communion at their church. Correct. Yes. That's, this is a metaphor. <laughs> this is a metaphor of taking the food that you are getting in your religion and going out to the world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love that. That's really, that's really beautiful. And it's just, it makes a difference to me in your decision to say, like the, the other part of that metaphor that I think about is there's only enough room for so many people huddled around the table. And so there isn't room for someone who disagrees with us. There isn't room for someone who mm. won't let us have power over them. There isn't room for uh, someone who doesn't fit in our our huddle. Mm -hmm. So that's that idea of, of dissension in the ranks is not okay. Whereas when you're... You're still connected, but you're facing outward and looking to engage in the world that, by my understanding, is a little closer to the pattern that Jesus set that yeah. invites us to follow. Yeah. So roadblocks. The categories, as we as we start getting into the categories a little bit, I think we're going to go pretty quickly because I think we've covered a lot of them already. Yeah. But like the roadblock section is kind of where we see religion getting in the way of perhaps people's faith or kind of like yes. where the harm happens 
And I think all of the things that we talk about when we talk about religious harm are just heightened in a cult. Exactly. I think about all of the aspects of your dissertation research about how rules are prioritized over people, mm-hmm. which is heightened in a, in a cult situation, about the, the dynamic leader, which is heightened in, in a cult situation, where the community surrounds someone and says, you agree with us or you're, or you're out. Like those yeah. are all very much heightened um, for and me. The, and the rules over a relationship, you don't have value as a person. You only have value as to how you follow the rules that we set here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I think the roadblock for me is how sad I am by someone who has experienced religious harm from a cult situation or from a who has experienced a religious harm and thinks that that is all religion. Mm. That's my road rage. That's uh, that kind of goes into the road rage yeah. section for me too. Step, is, get up on that soapbox. Yeah, is how it can it can turn people off of connecting with their spirituality or their spiritual life in any way. And I get it. I understand it. And certainly people need to have time to heal and may choose to never engage in a religious community again. And I also understand that. Um, And it saddens me because I know the joy and comfort and community that has been a part of my religious communities and my faith. Um, So, you know, another road rage for me, if I... Like, this is the intersection for me of all about autonomy. Like, as a counselor, I am all about, like, I am not in control of what's happening here. I want my clients to feel like they are in control of what happens in the counseling space and that that empowers them to hopefully feel a stronger sense of self of who they are in the world and being able to to be who they are, accept who they are, and live as they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, the thing... I, I, I um, don't know that rage is the right, road rage is the right term, but there is a, there's a sadness when our worshiping community or worshiping communities that proclaim God's belovedness for all people, that lift up everyone's identity, however they identify based on who they love or their gender expressions or their social leanings or political alignments or anything like that, that we proclaim that all God's people are beloved is such a far cry from if you're not with us, you're against us. And so I don't want to be lumped in with those folks. Yeah. And, um, I've had fascinating conversations, complete side road, but I recently was getting a tattoo. Um, and it's so pretty, y'all. And it's a very pretty tattoo, but it was fascinating to have the tattoo artist ask me what I do for a living. And I don't always tell the whole truth when people ask me what I do for a living. Sometimes I like to say that I'm in human resources, which is totally accurate. <laughs> yes, I resource humans all the time. But I said, oh, I'm actually a pastor. Conversation stopped. Mm. Like there was no way that we went from that. And it was I just made up a lot of stories in my mind of like, I wonder what you've been through as a person to there's something there not have a conversation after that. And I wanted to be like, dude, I'm getting a tattoo. I'm a cool pastor here. (laughs) Like I promise we're, I'm probably safer than you think I am. But that, the idea that we are all what, uh, what culture or the media or has, has made us out to be, which is, you know, you got lumped in. You got lumped in. I got lumped in. Yeah. 
And you just, you know there's a story there. You know there's harm and, and oh, my heart just aches for whatever, whatever cut that conversation off. That's, that breaks my heart. I would have loved to hear more of that story. Also, because I think as I shared early on in our podcast journey, I feel like one of the things God has invited me to do as part of my personal calling is to help create space for people who have felt like they have been harmed by the church. That there are healthy places out there and we don't get it right all the time. We are made up of humans. I can promise you if we enter into a long-term pastoral relationship, I will let you down at some point because Mm -hmm. I'm a human and I'm going to feel awful about it. I'm going to hate it, but I'm a human and that's what we're made up to do. And that's what I pray churches and worshiping communities and religions work towards is a place where humans are accepted as they are. I'm no closer to the divine than anybody. I believe that I am no closer to the divine than anyone else. Yeah. And I think that harm has come from different interpretations of that. Someone feeling like, and that's what cult leaders do is they purport that they are special. Right. And that they have, have, something that you have not experienced. So therefore you need to follow them and have that same experience. Yeah. And that autonomy, you know, is exactly what cults are trying to take away. Exactly. And that's, and that's such a value of mine for individuals that that's, that's where that gets me kind of ragey. Yeah. Well, to jump from, from rage into U-turns, that would say, you know, for a U-turn, I would say a place that prizes individuality and autonomy and invites people to come to their own conclusions about what they believe and how they're going to live those beliefs out. Which I don't think means that you never get challenged. Don't Please don't hear me say that. Like, I would hope that people who worship with us feel like they are challenged to, to ask themselves why they believe what they believe. Or challenged to say, I'm going to do more than just talk about what I believe. I'm going to put my beliefs into action or something like that. So, so being, but a U-turn that says not agree with me all the time, but like the agenda of our podcast is to make people think, to give people that autonomy and not to whitewash all religious experiences into cults. And exactly. Yes. I hope That's why when we started at the beginning with the idea that some people have that all religions are on some continuum of cults, I said, I don't agree with that. Exactly. I understand why people think that, but I don't agree with that. Do you have any other U-turns? Um, you know, I mean, my, my just hope for us as counselors and for mental health professionals that are listening for this, that we just recognize that we play a part in this and that every time we help people to find their own voice whatever that is, it's contributing to people who are not going to feel like they have to belong to a cult to have a sense of belonging or um, for any of the other reasons why people join a cult. So I do think that, that we have to recognize that this, um, that helping people not get drawn into this happens on a lot of levels. And sometimes it's just one-on-one in a counseling space as well. Absolutely. We talked a lot about billboards, you know, with podcasts and where this is showing up a lot of other places. So, um, so we would love to hear from y'all roadies. What other kind of pieces of media are you seeing that fun documentaries or movies or things about cults that you think can help people understand it? We'll put it on our website. Yeah, we'll, we'll put together a bunch of resources about that. So, um, so put it in park. 
But in park, you want to go first? You want to park it first? Sure. So I think the way I would put it in park is my hope that all religious experience is not put into the basket of being a cult, that there are safe and healthy places where you can ask questions, where if you have experienced religious harm before, there's a safe place for you to learn and grow and be in a relationship with the divine. And I hope you feel encouraged that there are places out there and that you're able to seek one and find one and that maybe we've given you some characteristics to look for in in a community and that regardless of how you find yourself that I believe a God is out there who loves you and who wants you to be in a safe, healthy place in a community of people that value you for who you are and what you've been called to be. And who gave you a brain to think things through and trust that you can still find God. Absolutely. With that brain. Without having to be brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah. How would you put it in park? You know, this was just, this was a really interesting episode to to prepare for and even to discuss. Because as you said, I, I had similar just kinds of thinking how it really made me question my own faith and religion and kind of, is it a cult? You know, those, those questions that came up and even having that student ask me that recently in, in class. Um, but I do, as we've been saying, when we question things that often leads to a deeper understanding of them. And I think it has led me there. And, you know, bottom line, I do think that cults are the ultimate religious abuse, the Mm -hmm. ultimate religious harm. And it fits all those categories from my dissertation research that, that it is abuse from a leader, you know, very clearly it's abuse from a system and it's abuse from a theology that, that does teach this isolation and, um, that to be important, you have to fall in line with everything and that you are not important. The group is important and that those can, you can be important and a group that you belong to can be important. So, so I just, I, I have so much respect for people who are able to question it while they're in a system that is really doing everything it can to keep you from questioning and for people who are able to exit it. And, and I just think there's something all of us can learn to continually be assessing where we are and how we're open to allowing our groups to allow space for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. So like we said about billboards, I know we would love to hear from you roadies about your own experiences or questions about cults. We, um, neither one of us, I would say are experts on cults, but we're certainly happy to do the research and, See what we can find out. And... Or connect you to people who are. Yeah, absolutely. So we'd love to hear from you, and you can interact with us in a lot of ways. We've got our email, sacredintersectionspodcast at gmail.com, as well as our website, sacredintersectionspodcast.com. You can also interact with us on social media. Yes, we're on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Intersections Podcast, and on Twitter at Sacred Pod. So tweet at us or follow us or share our social media posts. Um, we'd just love to hear from you and, um, and let, and let this be a collaborative process in whatever way we can. Yeah. We always appreciate the opportunity to interact with you all. And thanks to the roadies who have sent us advice, who've left reviews, who have, uh, helped us to promote the podcast. And uh, also a reminder to look in the show notes for information about Paula's great new venture, the center for healing religious harm. 
Yeah. So thanks for journeying with us today as we talked about cults and safe travels through all your sacred intersections throughout the week.